0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Project Voice Catalyst. If you have voice technology services or technology and you're looking for people, businesses, companies that might need those services or technology, then you should check out Project Voice Catalyst. It's a service that aims to connect people that have something with people that need it. It's put together by Bradley Metrock and his team at Score Publishing. You'll know Bradley Metro from the This Week in Voice podcast, the Voice First FM network, and the Project Voice conference that happens every January in Chattanooga. Uh, So if this sounds interesting to you, if you're looking to meet potential clients, if you're a potential client looking to meet a service provider, then you should check out Project Voice Catalyst. To get there, there's no website. It's a cryptic secret code that's only for industry insiders. You've got to email ray at scorepublishing.us. It's very contemporary, very speakeasy-esque invitation only on behalf of VUX World, email ray at scorepublishing.us if you're interested in learning a little bit more about it. Now, without further ado, this episode is with Daniel Paget, head of conversation design at Google. We're going to be talking the ins and outs of conversation design and how multimodality and a general multimodal world will affect the way that we approach and design services. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Daniel Paget of Google on VUX World.
1: UX World VUX World VUX World
2: VUX World VUX World Branding with the big faces
1: I love listening to it Kane
0: Sims. Kane Sims
1: Kane Sims Kane Sims, the one and only Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims Dustin 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 Coates I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys Without further ado Welcome to
0: the show Dustin, how do?
2: Ken doing pretty well how about yourself
0: very good very good very very good indeed and, and even better than i would otherwise be because today we are joined by voice i would say legend legend maybe might even be an understatement but he's the head of conversation design at google daniel paget daniel welcome
1: oh thank you thanks for having me really pleasure to be here
0: it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to have you join us, and and you know I think that we, we've had uh, John Bloom on in the past, who is a, obviously a, a colleague of yours, and uh, I'm really super excited to to speak to you because when we kind of first spoke. And I was kind of like mentioning about there's like a few there's a, there's a few people who've got like everyone thinks that this voice stuff is like really new and it's blossoming and it's kind of like you know it's really nascent and stuff. But there's like a handful of people who've been there and done that for for the last ten plus years, uh, and they're kind of few and far between. And you are one of them, so you've been working with with voice interfaces for 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 quite some time. Do you want to tell us a little bit about? your experience and, in, in, you know, first of all, who you are, and what you do at Google and then also a little bit about your kind of background and your history with, with, uh, voice interfaces.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, goes back actually about 20 years now. Um, and, um, I was a linguistics student, graduate student, and, um, I was pursuing studies in Creole linguistics, the lucrative field of Creole linguistics <laughs> and language generation. Uh, What what is
0: Creole linguistics?
1: (laughs) So Creole linguistics is a study of Creole languages around the world. Um, I think there's something like 350 of them. Uh, And it's really about uh, looking at when languages come in contact and uh, what that means uh, for our understanding of how languages form. Uh, So I was really interested in that kind of work and was pursuing um, a master's degree and then was going to go on and do uh, a PhD in that field. But while I was studying, um, I was introduced to language technology. Um, Sony Labs at the time put out a call to graduate students, come in and do some work with us. And so I was sitting in Sony Labs at a computer, staring at spectrograms and waveforms and listening to audio, and I was doing transcription of what people were saying. And we did what was called narrow transcription. So you would mark up everything from lip smacks to breath releases. We would show uh, where there were losses on language, like you know where people would drop certain things or add certain things. So we are just getting really narrow on the definition of what was happening in the audio signal, and they were feeding that into uh, basically a speech recognition and natural language understanding system. And at the time, they were using it for two very specific things. One was a, uh, do you remember that dog? It was Ibo the dog, it was that little toy dog, it was a white dog, and you could tell it, you know, sit, stay, roll over. I think they still have them today, yeah, but that, uh, I mean. that was one product. And then the other one was a GPS navigation system for Japan um, that they were working on. So these complex models to serve a little dog, <laughs> 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 those were the products at the time. Anyway, um, I just became fascinated with the technology and, um, I, uh, between, uh, you know, transitioning into, uh, my, the PhD program, I actually got a job, uh, at a, at a firm that was using the technology and, uh, I liked what I did. I liked paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> so I postponed for a year and then I postponed for another year. And then I finally just cut kind my of grave up on grad school and, I've stuck with the technology ever since and I've done a lot of consulting for enterprise and um, then I worked in enterprise uh, uh, at Walgreens actually in the Midwest um, at their headquarters there. And then now I'm at Google.
0: Wow. So, Tell us a bit about, uh, well, we'll maybe delve back and we, we can kind of, I'm, in, I'm always interested in asking, and uh, I think we asked John the same question, about what your observations are in terms of what's changed over time. But before then, to set some context, do you want to give us a, a bit of an overview and an oversight of, of what you do at Google?
1: Yeah, so I am the head of conversation design at Google, and uh, we're a growing team. We've been growing pretty rapidly over the last three, four years. I think when I joined in 2016, there were just a couple of us. And um, now we have a team that works uh, across Google Assistant, and we're focused on several areas. Um, One of them is a a team that is focused on creating kind of the core experiences for Google Assistant. And you can think of that as, you know, like media, communications, productivity, those kind of broad feature sets. So You know, playing music, playing videos, sending messages, doing duo calls, uh, setting timers, alarms, you know, tracking notes and lists, those types of things. We also have people who are focused a little bit more on, um, I guess, longitudinal behaviors, more about engagement with Assistant and what that looks like, say, the first time you use Assistant versus, you know, some interaction, say, months down the line or on a different device. Um, We also have folks who who are really focused on, I guess, what I would say, kind of like core interactions um, and repeatability. So they're looking at how do we scale, you know, this type of design across the ecosystem that that Google is building? Uh, How do we uh, hand over some of the, basically make it easier for everyone uh, to, to build these experiences? Uh, across this ecosystem, what is there that is repeatable and uh, and scalable, and um, how how do we design for that? And then we also have a, a couple folks who are focused on uh, outreach, and I guess you could say inreach. So uh, people that I think you're aware of, like Kathy Pearl, Wally Bill, um, they've been uh, focused on uh, educating. Uh, people both internally and externally and working with internal teams who are interested in this stuff um, and also working with the developer community um, and uh, and just kind of highlighting some of the best practices and the things that we've learned with, with people inside Google and outside Google.
0: Cool. That's uh... a... <clears throat> It's it's only when you hear it laid out like that that you. Re- I mean, everyone everyone is aware of Google Assistant. They know the scale of it, the size of it, um, you know, the the billion devices that it runs on, etc., 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 and the, the size of the task at hand. But it's only when you hear how things are actually organized and structured that you realize how complex it gets and how also how detailed that it gets like planning for how, how the interactions change over time and, and all that kind of stuff is, is fascinating stuff, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a uh, highly complex and, you know, I would say that's kind of what's that complexity of that level of complexity is actually kind of what's different than, uh, between what we're doing now and what we were doing say, you know, 15 years ago. Um, yeah. There's a lot more there to deal with.
2: Yeah. It, um, Daniel, do you ever read Hacker News?
1: Uh, at times, yeah. Do you
2: yeah. ever read the comments?
1: No. Yeah,
2: the reason I, I say that is because one of the recurring comments I see on Hacker News is, why does tech company need X hundred or X thousand people working on something? Uh, mm. And it's when you're working at a scale of, of Google, it, it makes sense to have people optimize all, all these different things and you don't really think about it. Like Kane was saying until it's brought up and you're like, Oh yeah, like assistant is speaking billions of times a day, or million, many hundreds of millions of times a day. It makes sense to throw a dozen people on, on this one small thing because it impacts so many people.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's um, you know, there's the experience, the interactions that we have to create, and then you have to land those on a multitude of devices, and then you have to land them in a multitude of languages. I think we're, you know, up over thirty now worldwide, um, and and so yeah, massive teams are required to do this type of stuff uh, with inequality at scale. That's for sure.
0: Mm. And we'll we'll move on and to to chat about some of the, the some of the, the specifics of what you've kind of alluded to already, which is that you know Google Assistant isn't a smart speaker; it's an ecosystem that exists on any amount of devices and growing, you know, wildly. Um, so we'll kind of get on to that. But first, something probably a bit more topical, which which um, is. Everyone's dealing with that at the moment, you know, given that everyone's the situation with with COVID, etc. And uh, you know, the, there was various stories around things being removed that were like, you know, COVID skills, actions, what have you. But then, thankfully, what's happened is every, all all of the main platforms really have kind of come out and they've actually kind of offered some some real proper kind of guidance and things like that. So do you want to kind of explain a little bit about what Google's doing uh, to to try and help and assist people? during this kind of COVID time?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, uh, it really has been you know all hands on deck, and it's great to see uh, from the inside, I, I have to say. Um, the Google Assistant team has really stepped up in this regard, um, making sure that people have the information they need and that we're answering as many queries as we possibly can about this. So um, we have people. Uh, and, and we've seen spikes obviously in requests for information on things like, you know symptoms, treatments, prevention. And so we've been uh, serving and surfacing responses from the World Health Organization. Um, people can also ask uh, you know about the latest on coronavirus and we'll serve up news from verified sources um, for um, people on their mobile phones, Android and iOS. Accessing assistant and a snapshot view that is available to you, where we're, we're um, putting cards there and information uh, in a kind of a proactive way, so that people can get at it more quickly. Um, and all these things are evolving, of course. So as things evolve, the information is updated, and we look for other opportunities to serve information up to our users. Um, and you know, the other thing is we're doing some cool stuff that's you know, it's kind of fun. I mean, uh there's a, a team, um, the, the creative team, uh, the personality folks who created us um, a song uh, about, you know, washing your hands. And so, you know, if you said it, hey, gee, you know, help me wash my hands, it sang a song. And I think it was just about 20 seconds. So, you know, like kids could sing along, wash their hands, that sort of thing, and teach them the benefits of that. So, you know, looking at creative ways to serve up information to people and um, answer their questions uh when we can, how we can, on whatever device they like, and also do some stuff that 's kind
0: of fun cool that's good that's good it's uh yeah it's it's a challenging time for everyone isn't it and I think that what we've what we 've seen through you know speaking to various people and, and reading various things is that in in a time like this when everyone's spending more time at home. The smart speakers in particular, well, mobile usage is up anyway, but by the most, like 48% up or something like that. But then second, out of all of the devices in the home, the second device to have the most increased usage is smart speakers at like 30 odd percent, which makes it even more kind of important, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, That's pretty amazing. And I, I'm really, frankly, just glad to be a part of it and to be able to uh, work in a space that is uh, providing that, that information to people at that scale. I think it's really cool.
0: Mm. Have you noticed your usage increase, Dustin, since you've been on lockdown?
2: No, I would say, interestingly, my usage has decreased. Oh, uh, wow. My wife my wife and I have been um, sort of trapped together. Trapped, I mean, trapped's not the right word. She's my wife. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but we've been in this small, uh, small area together, and so uh, just sort of, we're you know we're talking we're hearing each other all the time so just maybe to save her a little bit of that i'm speaking with a smart speaker a little bit less i'm listening to music in my headphones and my earbuds a lot more so my usage i would say is decreased a bit uh what about what about you, Kane?
0: uh i think it's probably increased slightly because when I'm doing something up here, I tend to kind of like i I'm usually um listening to something. I've got a home hub here, I've usually got a podcast on that, and then I've got some devices down here which I use for testing so it's it's probably increased maybe slightly, not dramatically, but it has increased a bit. What about you dan daniel have you have you noticed yourself using these things a bit more?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm using smart display a lot and, um, I have a Google, um, NAS hub max, I'm trying to remember. The name, I think. <laughs> uh, and, um, I use that quite a bit for playing media, um, you know, music, uh, shows, things like that. Um, I've got it connected to YouTube TV, which is kind of cool. So I can, you know, um, uh, see various channels and things like that, switch between news and, movies or shows and things like that um and yeah so I'm doing a lot of media consumption also asking a bunch of questions um I also use it because uh, uh, for my um my schedule so I kind of have a routine in the morning and uh you know wake up and say good morning and it tells me what's going on for the day it gives me uh, highlights on the weather the you know uh, highlights from my calendar and then moves on to uh, some news sources that I like. So that's kind of how I start my day.
0: Yeah. How do you find interacting with Google Assistant, given that you're kind of on the inside? Like, well, I I often listen back to podcasts and it's not because I'm vain, it's because I'm trying to listen to how it sounds. I want to listen whether or not we've, we've, whether it sounds good, it sounds kind of like broadcast quality. I'll put it on different devices from time to time to make sure that every speaker's at the same level and things like that. So I do tend to listen to the podcast quite a bit, which is actually good because sometimes in the heat of the moment in the conversation when you're so zoned in, you kind of sometimes miss things that, that people say. Um, but I'm I'm not listening to it as an end user. I'm listening to it as a producer. And I'm thinking, how can we make this sound better? Is that the same kind of thing, the vibe that you have when you interact with Google Assistant? Or do you just use it as okay. you would use it normally?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say it's one or the other. It's kind of both. There are certainly things where, you know, at times, you know, it'll kind of catch my ear or my eye. And, you know, we have a mechanism so that I can file a a bug and say, you know, Hey, I think this could be improved. So, uh, sometimes I'm not paying attention to that at all. And I really am just trying to get the thing done that I want, get the answer, do the action, whatever. And I'm not really conscious, you know, per se of, of, uh, you know, the quality or, you know, those little, those little things. And then other times, yeah, I'm, I'm poking at it or, you know, actually, uh, Sometimes I'll read something, you know, where somebody is saying like, Hey, this was, you know, this thing was launched and they're doing a review of it. So I'll go and see how, if if their review kind of matches my understanding of what we did and think through some of the differences and whatnot. So yeah, kind of varies on my level of attention when I'm doing that, that, that usage in the house.
0: Nice. So we mentioned, your experience um, we're going to get into talking about kind of multimodality, and because you've, you've kind of alluded to that a little bit in, in the kind of setup and stuff so we're really interested in diving into that but what, what I'm always interested in as I mentioned previously was that for someone who's kind of got as much experience as you have and you mentioned that you were you know when you were working at Sony literally transcribing stuff to, to feed the speech recognition engine you've obviously kind of like been around and, and experienced it in the kind of earlier kind of days of the tech, as well as now where, you know, you've mentioned that the team's only got so big because things have got so complex. What are some of the things that you've noticed have kind of like changed either in the, the technology or in the industry or from a user behavior standpoint? Or what, are you, what do you think are some of, the, like, some of the positive differences that you've seen over the last sort of 15, 20 years?
1: Well, uh, certainly uh, changes in the core tech. And the core technology um, and massive improvements, frankly, like, uh, you know, so when we're talking about speech recognition, natural language understanding, natural language generation, even you know, voice authentication, being able to understand who we're speaking to. Um, these are significantly better than they were, you know, when I started. Just massive step changes. Um, I mean, like, as the, as the industry matured, you know, I, I got to watch – a whole lot of improvements over time, and things that different companies were doing, um, and uh, you know, worked with it. Pretty much every platform there was, so uh, got to see this progression. And you know, in the last like ten years, you know, companies like Google. Frankly, you know, even as an outsider, before I joined, I was really impressed with with uh, what I saw coming out of Google. And and now that I'm on the inside, and uh, it's um, it's just amazing stuff. What, what this team uh, and the teams working on these technologies are doing, and so that—that's one of the main things. Is just that the tech uh, has just really, really improved. Um, another thing, um, I think, you know, Apple put Siri in our pockets, and uh, Google put a microphone in the browser and in their, you know, their very popular mobile app, the Google app, and then. Amazon put Alexa in our kitchens. Um, credit where credit is due. You know, um, these these I think were massively significant moments in the adoption of the tech. So we kind of moved from the tech being used primarily for customer service and and some access accessibility stuff uh, in the early days, but mostly for customer service. Um, and we, now we've kind of shifted on the spectrum, and it's still used for that, but. It's also expanded now into a real consumer play, and, and you know it has everyday value for people, and you know, leveraging it in their homes and on their mobile phones a lot more than we saw, or you know, we didn't do it at all back then. It was just over uh, um, phone calls, but now you know it, it's a like I said, it's on all of our devices or an expanding ecosystem of devices. Um, And yeah, like that, that's the other thing is the hardware ecosystem has just expanded so much. Uh, it's, you know, exploded. And so we're creating these conversational experiences, not just for mobile phones and smart speakers, uh, you know, that, um, both Apple and, uh, Amazon kind of introduced to the world. Um, but now it's on smart displays, it's in cars, it's on TVs, uh, wearables like headphones and, and, and watches. So, uh, Yeah, there's just like this kind of massive proliferation and availability of this technology across a wide range of devices.
2: You were talking at first, or you were talking about multimodal last, and I know you want to get back to that, but one of the Mm -hmm. first things you mentioned was that the technology is improving and it's getting better and, and you wouldn't have been able to imagine this earlier in your career. Are there things that are more difficult now because of that improved technology, perhaps early in your career, you could get away with this. And now that the technology is improved,
1: it's no longer feasible. Ooh, tough question. Um, well, so the thing is that back then we were working with cl- very much like a closed domain, right? So, uh, when you, When you had someone, say, calling in for help in a customer service world, they were calling a phone number that was attached to a company and that served up information that was specific to that company and often for very specific use cases. I need to make a payment. I need to check on something. So that constrained the domain of the things we had to talk about. With technology getting so much better, especially at a place like Google, and you can pretty much answer the question uh, how can I help you? And, you know, you have the power of Google's, you know, 18 years of search behind that. Uh, that opens the domain up massively, right? So um, it it really is kind of like this, this problem of before we had a constrained domain and it was a bit easier to anticipate what we needed to do versus now a domain that's like completely open and um, we have to find ways to scale uh, across that. Uh, the, the 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 needs and the requests that people have when they're answering that question and we have to do it in tons of different languages. So yeah, mass a much more complex domain and problem to solve.
0: And oh add on to that the device proliferation which you'd mentioned yeah. is like <laughs> exactly. you know millions or billions of users, millions and of, of potential devices, lots and lots of different languages, and it's just it's it's actually pretty hard to imagine. I mean, you take it a bit for granted that you hear that, you know, Google Assistant's available in like 38 countries in 14 languages. And you think, yeah, well, that's kind of what you'd expect. You know, I want to expand it into new markets and things like that. But you kind of don't really quantify just how big of a job that actually is to do, as well as be able to provide a consistent experience in all of those different markets and on all of those different devices. It's actually a,
1: it's a huge task. And I, I want to, uh, like, that job is not mine. I want to make that clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that, that is a massive job done by some fantastic teams that, uh, that find the ways to localize um, our experiences and our content across these devices for millions of people around the world. It's, it is a massively complex operation, and uh, they, do a, they do a fantastic job.
0: So let's let's get into this 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 multi-modality situation then cuz cuz it's interesting that when we started the podcast two over two years ago um it it was the smart speakers that were kind of driving a lot of the discussion a lot of the time and it's kind of like the smart speakers are the things that have have i think got a lot of headlines and and that the attention has been there but over the last probably 12 months maybe a bit less maybe a bit more it's it's started to become apparent that that most voice activity is happening on mobile. Every device that sh- that ships comes with some kind of voice interface in it, and so the smart speakers are either training wheels or a kind of red herring or whatever they are. But it's certainly not the be all and end all, which is kind of what we've been saying. Um, but I'm curious the, the, to, to, to get your take on, on even just the definition of, of this, because you know different people have different definitions for different things, and it'd be interesting to get your perspective on how you would define that term multimodal.
1: Well,: um, So multimodal has been around for a while, frankly, like in its kind of base, uh, basic definition of multimodal. And it, you know what you're talking about there is multiple signals. Uh, linguistic, aural, haptic, visual, um, all contributing in a way to uh, understanding of a composition, right All these things kind of coming together to uh, to make something meaningful for the user. So you know we have that multiple inputs, multiple outputs on you know mobile phones and mobile apps, right It's like it's the orchestration of all of those things into this singular experience and that's multimodal. Um, when it comes to what we're doing now with this ecosystem, yes, is it multimodal? Yes, it has multiple inputs and multiple outputs. But uh, the thing that I like to talk about is the fact that, you know, this is what's different here is that it's kind of like conversation is the gearbox here. It's the thing that is kind of uh, driving these types of multimodal interactions. and. so I, I think that's the distinction that I try to make. And it, it, it can be hard to, uh, to distill at times. But, but really, yeah, w- what we're talking about is a conversation that occurs and changes depending on context. And that context includes you know knowledge of the world, knowledge of the person, the capabilities of the device. Um, so, so that's kind of the difference. There, there is multimodality but what we're doing here is creating a conversational experiences that takes advantage of those multiple modes and uses them in ways that make sense for the user based on a context.
0: With the proliferation of, of different devices and each of these devices has different forms of inputs and outputs, we've kind of almost been trained now with, with the smart speakers to have conversations and so. From your perspective, I'm curious to, to kind of understand how you think about this and whether you kind of see it as the conversational element is the, the core driving force of the experience with the other inputs and outputs playing like a, a sub role, such as like earcons to say that teaching you've checked out properly or a haptic vibration to say that your booking's been made and so the conversations are driving force, when the other modalities are there to supplement it or whether you see conversation and touch and all of these various inputs and outputs across all devices having totally kind of equal weight
1: right well i'll tell you what i i yeah what i think about it um I think that conversation is inherently multimodal, actually. So um, even the conversation that we're having now that includes you know, video, uh, you can see my facial expressions. I can use uh, hand gestures to emphasize things. If I happen to have a screen behind me, like I'm pre- you know, doing a presentation at work, or even if I was doing that with you, I would have a visual to, to kind of point to. And, uh, you know, you could also say, you know, take, for instance, being in a cafe and, you know, you can have a conversation with the barista and tell them your order. You can point to the thing on the uh, menu. You can browse the, you know, pastry case and point to the one you want. And you can even ask them questions. So conversations leverage all of these inputs and outputs to communicate meeting. And so our challenge is to figure out what role each one of those elements plays as the conversation changes across this hardware ecosystem and to um, optimize kind of like what we're trying to say to the user at any given point. And that basically requires a whole lot of orchestration, frankly, and um, decision making about what role each specific element plays at, uh, at any given point. Um, it's easier said than done. Uh, a lot of times, uh, the, the voice aspect takes on, uh, the primary responsibility and visuals take on say like a secondary or tertiary, um, responsibility there. But in other moments you could see the reverse. You know, if somebody's holding a smartphone two inches from their face, and we happen to know that maybe we want to go more visual forward there and allow them to tap and, you know, take their turn essentially in the conversation by swiping or tapping or even, you know, typing, texting. So uh, it's about dynamically shifting along this spectrum and optimizing the conversation, uh, leveraging all of these things so that we provide what feels like a natural and seamless interaction.
0: That's good. That's it. That was it. Very, very well put answer. Um, <laughs> you, you've mentioned a few times how things change with devices, in terms of you know different devices: headphones, screens, phones, smart speakers, you know cars. How does that interface change with those, like with those different devices? And is there anything that, from your perspective, and your from from the work that your teams do in terms of like designing conversations for these assistants? what would kind of be some of those examples of the kind of things that might change across devices?
1: Sure. So, um, uh, what's a good example. So let's just take a a question. Like, um, let's say somebody is asking for, you know, how many colors of that t-shirt do you have? Or, uh, what colors of that t-shirt do you have? Let's say in a, in a shopping scenario, in a, if we're talking about voice only on a speaker, we have to kind of we have to repeat all of those things the, all of the colors back to the user, or find a way to repeat um, all of the colors back to the user, present them, and you know maybe progress the conversation, you know which one are you interested in, whatever. So you have to read them out. That's our pretty much our only option. Um, move to a smart display, and we might use voice to bring the user's gaze the screen so kind of like here's the colors we have you know or I'm you know you know we have 10 different colors here they are you know and we we kind of bring their eyes to the screen and then let them drive from there Um, and then you could imagine you know maybe a, a, a different kind of interaction or a different twist on that interaction maybe like I said on a mobile phone where you know, if if they've got it to two inches from their face, maybe it's just a ding that we heard what they said, and we show them, and we you know they can they can go from there. So you can see how it's this, it's similar information, but the interaction changes depending on what we know about the user's particular context, the state of the device, so on and so forth. Um, I think one of the one of the coolest things is, uh, and one of the examples I like to use is like if if, if you think about a mobile phone, and if I set it on my desk and I, uh, you know, had it turned upside down, like screen facing down, uh, there's a signal there that tells me that, you know, that that's occurred, that it's, you know, basically it's screen locked and it's, and it's turned over. We have the, we have those types of sensors in the device, right? So you could imagine a world where I could still speak to that phone. You know, I could say, hey, gee, and what's the weather? And it would give me, you know, uh, what you would, describe as like a smart speaker type response, right? Now, if I flip that over and I put it in my hand and hold it two inches from my face and ask what's the weather, maybe it just dings at me and shows me the information. Now, if I dock it like in my car, now it's become a glanceable interface. And I might say, you know, I might fall somewhere in between giving both an audio response and a visual response. And that visual response would also change somewhat so that the information is larger, the the salient information is larger and really easy for me to grasp and understand. And so you can see just how on one device, you know, depending on the, you know, what we know about the device, the user, so on and so forth, how that conversation changes. The information is the same, but the, confirmation, the conversation about that thing changes based on that, that context. So that's both you know, the exciting thing and the challenge
2: how would you go about tailoring those conversations when you perhaps don't have all the signals or the signals can be contradictory? Let's say um, yeah. you've got a home hub in the kitchen your backs to it while you're cooking or in the car example, maybe I'm asking why I'm driving or the passengers asking. And, and those yeah. are two different experiences. How would you go about handling those situations?
1: Well, I don't know, Dustin, (laughs) I, I guess. No, I mean, you know, we have to make those kind of design decisions, you know, um, sometimes, uh, you know, basically based on research, what we know, the data that we see, um, you know, there's a whole lot of unanswered questions and I can't pretend that we have all that figured out. Like what I was describing, there was definitely an ideal state and there's a whole lot of questions to answer and you've hit, uh, on some very important ones, especially around, you know, who are we talking to? What does it mean to have a communal device? Uh, What does it mean when there are multiple people in the room? Uh, These are big challenges that I don't think anybody's like fully figured out yet. So we're still working through a lot of that.
0: Do you think that's the way that, that things are headed? I mean, feel free to not answer this if you do have the actual info on this, (laughs) but like what Dustin was saying there is like, you know, the passengers driving presumably, I don't know whether this is the case, but, but maybe microphone technology can figure out the direction that the voice comes from. Uh, and if it knows that it's docked in the car or either it knows that it's not the owner speaking and it's a different person speaking due to the actual tone of the voice and things like that. So maybe it can tailor things based on that. Uh, and then you mentioned there are number of people in the room and all that kind of stuff, which might change the way the interaction is. So you kind of laid out some very possible options right there which is that the experience on the nest hub is different to the experience on the android phone and you can you can realistically design for those right now but those like real kind of advanced kind that is advanced by the way but the the kind of like really specific things that we're just getting out there do you think that that is the the trend and the path that we're on or, or is what we have now good enough in that respect
1: um well, certainly these things are going to improve over time. Where we land exactly, uh, you know, I, I can't be sure. I think a lot of this is going to have to do with uh, adoption and how people use these things. But there's certainly a bunch of ideas about how uh, different signals can be used to drive an interaction, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, uh, these are things that, uh, you know, we have to, have to be carefully researched and carefully considered before we kind of launch anything out into the world. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot more work to be done on on how we combine these signals to provide the best interaction and to make these kind of decisions. Maybe maybe we won't. Maybe we will. I, I really just don't know
0: right now. Are you seeing um, through through the work that you've been kind of doing? Are you seeing that that these different devices and different ways of interacting with the devices are changing? consumer behavior. Like, so for example, to, there was that research that a few years back that said that most people that have smart speakers as a byproduct of having that smart speaker and interacting with it, voice assistant usage on the mobile phone goes up. And, and there's like things like that where like, you know, if you, if you have a conversation with an assistant over time, maybe you'll trust it a bit more. I, have you noticed any of those kind of things where that these different devices have had an impact on consumer behavior?
1: Well, I can definitely confirm, like, you know, kind of what you said there about, you know, like, smart speaker adoption, driving um, usage of these types of technology on there, there, at least there seems to be a correlation for sure. And then, of course, you know, people that have multiple devices, of course, there's, you know, uh, new behaviors that are popping up around that, um, just simply because they have kind of this ecosystem now, and and they can access um, this kind of information whenever they want from wherever they want. Um, So, really, it's just early days. Uh, All I can do is just kind of confirm kind of what you said there. Um, And it's just interesting to watch as the ecosystem evolves, becomes more and more ambient, computing kind of pushes its way into the background. Uh, It's just fascinating to watch uh, what's going on.
0: So we spoke about some of the the different design choices that you might use or take when you're creating experiences for different types of devices. And and Dustin kind of alluded to some of the challenges there in terms of, is the person driving or not? Have they got the back to the device and stuff like that? Those seem like challenges, but are there any other challenges that you're facing or that you've noticed or overcome through trying to figure out how these interactions differ depending on the device that's being used?
1: Well, I guess I would just say broadly, it's been a challenge to even begin to think about that. I mean, um, it's just not something that's really existed previously, you know? So, you know, we talked about the history here of voice and language technologies. And again, there was that constraint before that meant that we were just dealing with pretty much, you know, voice in a constrained domain. And so shifting to a world where there are these multiple inputs and outputs, that orchestration uh, uh, across this ecosystem, again, become is, is massively complex and figuring out the trade-offs uh, that help us optimize the experience given that particular context. It's one thing if you're to go off and design you know, for that specific surface you know, and, and maintain uh, that type of, Uh, You know, org or organization like a design and engineering team that's very hyper focused on a single device. But when we're talking about an ecosystem at the scale, which Google is doing, becomes uh, an opportunity for us to figure out where the patterns are, uh, where the repeatable behaviors are, what's common across this ecosystem, and how can we leverage it um, across the board so that we're not building it from scratch every single time. Um, And that's really been a big challenge for us and something that we work on constantly and refine constantly and work with um, uh, both the the teams that are implementing features and the teams that are building our infrastructure.
0: And presumably that's compounded by the fact that a device might come out tomorrow running Google Assistant and... It could be a surprise, you know, I mean, we're kind of aware now that, you know, the LG are bringing TVs out with Google Assistant and Google Assistant have been working with Nissan to put Google Assistant in the car. And so the, likely there is partnerships going on where Google is working at putting Google Assistant into these different environments. But I mean, you can essentially run Google Assistant anywhere. So there could be devices coming out tomorrow and in future that have different interfaces, different surfaces that presumably you kind of need to plan for what, for, for what you can't see as well.
1: Yeah, and I, that, again, that's kind of the tricky bit, right? Is you know, kind of how how do we think about this as something that can um, morph and change based on um, the the specific hardware, the specific context, and so yeah, we think pretty hard about that and um, kind of the um, the offs there between all these inputs and outputs and how they can be scaled across this ecosystem. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, it, it's open to you know a bunch of different device makers and things like that. So it's also great to see what they come up with and what kind of uh, things they ask us for.
0: And probably you mentioned this earlier on around one of one of your teams that works on how the interaction with the assistant changes over time and how maybe even how the interaction with the assistant on different devices change over time. But how does that look like what are some of the sort of examples that 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 happen where the assistant might change the more often you use it
1: sure um so first of all the uh, you know there's this idea long-standing idea in you know software development and app development where you kind of have you know first run use versus everything else and so there's a lot of guidance up front. So maybe you could think about it as you know, like novice shifting from novice to expert. You know, and there's probably a whole bunch of steps in between. So you could imagine that um, assistant is uh, doing a little more handholding up front. You know, maybe pointing to certain things, making you aware. It's really kind of like the common discovery problem. Like this thing exists here um, when you're dealing with a screen. You know, highlighting some things that are available as assistant is speaking to you, pointing to the screen. Um, yeah, so what, what can we do as people are just starting with Assistant to show them the multiple capabilities that it has? Um, then, you know, I mentioned discovery. Um, you know, we've come up with some methods where, uh, like there's a thing that we call by the way, and you know, it's something that uh, we introduce, uh, we use to introduce new information or new capabilities to a user after they've had a successful interaction. And um, we, we built kind of like a framework and rules around that about, you know, what type of information you should be um, providing to the user. For instance, it should be relevant in some way to the thing they just did. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it should talk about things in a certain way. So we've kind of developed that based on brand and um, conversational principles. Um, and, and that's something that we use uh, kind of across the board to highlight um new features um, or, you know, get some message across some information that, that people need a call to action, so on and so forth. And um, so those are the kinds of things that this team kind of looks at doing and uh, different moments that they can engage the user with information um, different moments where some of that information can say be. Taken away and we streamline the experience because the user has already done it before or they got it in their first run experience.
0: I've noticed that by the way thing. It's pretty good. I've been doing a lot of testing uh with various things and what I've noticed is that if you ask like a question about a musician, every now and then, have you noticed this, Dustin? Every now and then it'll say, by the way, they're playing in London on such and such.
2: Really? No, that doesn't happen for me. Really? Doesn't happen for me. The, by the way that I get, um, because I've had to change my Wi-Fi password surprisingly a lot the past year. And so I have to re reinitialize assistant is, by the way, you can say good morning or, or something like that. You can add this to your, to, to your morning routine. That's, yeah. that's one that always sticks to me.
1: Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you're getting it multiple times, which to me maybe is something that we should look into.
2: <laughs> yeah, tell me where to file a bug report. I'll, I'll make that out I'll do it for you. I'll do it okay, for you.
1: that's class.
0: So, any any kind of um, any other kind of final bits of advice that you might give people who are who are considering or in the process of creating a multimodal kind of uh, experience, or any kind of resources that you might be able to share about where people might be able to go to to learn a little bit more. I know Google produces and publishes quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I get asked this question a lot, uh, particularly students reach out quite a bit, um, people uh, who are doing like uh, HCI at schools and uh, master's programs and things like that. Um, And one of the first things I say is um, I think that people should be picking up anything by Clifford Nass published a while back. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was at Stanford and he wrote a couple books. One was Wired for Speech and the other one was The Man Who Lied to His Laptop. Um, Those are just great books and um, talk a lot about the the language interface and uh, human reaction and kind of how we're bringing all the things that we uh, have with human to human conversation. We're bringing all those same things to human to computer uh, interactions as well. Um, then, uh, maybe not surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, uh, I also recommend books by two people on my team, uh, Kathy Pearl, who you're familiar with wrote, uh, Designing Voice User Interfaces, uh, and then James Jongola, uh, he wrote a book a while back called Voice User Interface Design, um, seminal book. Uh, I read that early on, uh, uh, when I was getting started and, uh, was definitely a life changer for me. There's probably a lot of information there that you know was a little bit more tied to kind of what we were doing then, but the the principles there are just like spot on and still ring true today. Um, and then I guess the final thing is I you know direct people to design.google.com. Um, we've started publishing there, um, and that's kind of like Google's broad design. Um, information outlet. And we've got a space on there where we're publishing content, videos, and posting um, articles and things like that. Um, and there's also a link from there into our, um, our framework. Uh, we produced something for the Actions on Google team uh, several years ago, and that's evolved over time. And it basically uh, talks through the principles of conversation design and some best practices and uh, some patterns and components that people can uh, leverage as they build their actions.
0: Cool. Well, Daniel, this has been absolutely immense. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. That perspective is, is, is fantastic. And, you know, your knowledge is immense and we really, really appreciate the, uh, the time that you've spent with us and, and everything that you've, that you've shared. Thanks so much for joining us being immense.
1: Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been great.